Hey guys, this is David, aka Bible Scribe. Thank you for checking out my podcast today. I just wanted to remind you that I also have a YouTube channel and a blog. This podcast is a rebroadcast of my YouTube videos. You can find my YouTube channel with an easy search for Bible Scribe. My blog is www.bible-scribe.com, and there you can find notes from my broadcasts and contact me directly using the contact form on that site. So please find a way to connect with me or my other listeners, and God bless you in your search for the truth of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now to the podcast. Hello again, it is Bible Scribe. Thank you for joining me yet again. This video is called LGBTQ, is it against God's design? And we're gonna do an analysis. Now we're actually analyzing a video I found online. This is the video uh, that I found. Uh, It came up in my timeline and because YouTube pushed this one on me, I decided to go ahead and listen to it and it is uh, the full title is LGBTQ plus against God's design progressive versus conservative Christian uh, and it says part one but I'm only going to go through this part one video today because as I listened the we're actually not going to listen to as much of the conservative Christian quote unquote um, his speaking but we're going to listen mostly to what the the uh, progressive Christian, or so he calls himself, is going to say about his defense of his defense of why it uh, LGBTQ people should be included in the church, and uh, that no church services should be withdrawn from them. He even makes the points to go so far as to to say that uh, it's not for us to say whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong. And you're gonna see that as we go through, but we're gonna we're gonna dance through different clips and then listen to what he says. And I'm gonna give a response. Uh, I'm not actually gonna use much scripture uh, because he is arguing this not from a biblical standpoint, but a philosophical standpoint. So a lot of my answers are gonna be that they're gonna be more philosophical based instead of Bible scripture based because this guy truly. Uh, he tends and lends himself towards uh, devaluing the authority of Scripture, and you'll hear that as as we go through. Uh, and just so you know, this video is put out by a group, a YouTube channel called Anchored North. And uh, so when I first saw this video and listened to it, I was so struck by this guy's presentation of his point of view as a progressive Christian, quote-unquote. And it was so so much to me stronger than the discussion given by the conservative Christian that I wondered if the people who'd made this video actually were pushing the progressive Christian agenda by putting this video in my timeline um, and labeling it as such. But looking at the Anchored North website, I feel like this group at least is portraying themselves as a conservative Christian 
source of content. So uh, that surprised me just a little, just because this discussion you're about to see some of was so heavily weighted in time and discussion towards the ideas of the progressive Christian that we're going to be mostly talking about. And I felt like it warranted a response video, and I hope that uh, many people who see this video are coming from having seen at least some of the other video and are wondering, wow, which of those guys is making more sense? And, and so I'm really, this video is to help with the confusion that some people on the more liberal side of the Christian perspective, um, some of the questions they might have about this, but um, I was just amazed at uh, what this guy said and truly a, a little bit underwhelmed with the response of the Christian progressive. With that being said, I've got the video here and we're going to jump through time codes, make sure my notes are ready. So let's jump to the first time and let's listen to a little bit here. Integrity. Okay, so that's kind of their little intro before they really started discussing. And then they just go back and forth. Each person takes maybe two, three, four minutes and speaks. And then the other one, they do uh, a pretty good job of maintaining a balance. Although I think in the end, the progressive Christian on the right here with the um, flowy hair and the nice beard, which I do compliment his beard. It's very nice. Um, but he... He seems to get a little more talking time in this video. Let's jump ahead to the first part where he actually discusses some of his background. He's going to talk to us about when he became a Christian as a child. We're singing in the choir. And I remember at, uh, at five years old, my dad was uh, putting me to sleep top bunk of our bunk bed. And he shut the light off. And just a moment after he leaves, I shout down the hall, Dad, 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 and he comes running back in. And I'm like, I'm ready to accept Jesus into my heart. And so he turns the light back on, and, you know, good Baptist that he was, he was all excited to lead me in this prayer. Now, I had no idea what I was doing at five years old, but I had picked up enough, uh, I imagine, through Sunday school and through other conversation that, that there was something important about this prayer. And so my dad led me in what I imagine is some version of what you might call the, you might call the sinner's prayer. So I, I, right off the bat, from listening to a person who describes their, quote, salvation experience this way, number one thing that strikes me is that he says he didn't really know what he was doing. He just said, Dad, 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 I want to give my heart to Jesus, or have, ask him to my heart. So, and then he says, but I didn't know what that meant at all. And then number two, uh, he says that... Uh, that he thought that at the time there was something special about the prayer, the, quote, sinner's prayer, uh, as he calls it there. So first off, with the, you know, not knowing what you did. Now, he said he was five years old, and at the time he ran to his dad and said, Dad, 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 I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Well, uh, 
So looking at my own personal experience, I became a Christian, and I will plainly, openly tell you, I became a Christian at the age of three. But, um, and that sounds super young, but, you know, a lot of three-year-olds, by the way, are, they're reading books, they're talking very fluently, they're, they understand a lot of things. So if you've never had kids and you don't understand what the um, mental capacity of a three-year-old is, it's actually can be, depending on the child, quite, quite extensive. But uh, I just remember knowing at a super young age, and I don't know that I remember the, the day that my dad tells me that I talked with him and understood who God was and who Jesus was, and that I, I uh, prayed a prayer asking forgiveness for sins and that uh, he would be a part of my life and, and essentially committing to him uh, and acknowledging him as my Savior. Um, but my dad explains me understanding that, those basics, and those are the very basics of Christianity. Who is God? Who is Jesus? And I'm a sinner. Okay, that's the, the most basic basics. But I know from the youngest age I can remember that I understood those things. So for him to say at age five, he ran down the hall and dad, 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 help me become a Christian. But he didn't understand any of it. And he prayed a prayer called the sinner's prayer that he thought was there was something special about the prayer. It shows to me that he didn't understand it. And perhaps his father didn't even really understand what the need of his child was when he comes to him asking, I want to become a Christian, essentially. Because a, a father who truly understands Christianity and understands the Bible and what God says about uh, the things in the Bible, what his son Jesus says about salvation and believing in him and the Father and then repenting of your sin and confessing him as Lord... A father that understood those things would then lead his son and make sure that his son understood those things before saying something like a sinner's prayer. Um, my wife and I had this discussion many times when we had young little kids, uh, and it, it always was this balance of making sure they understood what they were talking about, and, and sometimes what we would do is make them repeat it back to us, because if they understood it, then they'd be able to verbalize it, right? And so... Um, for my kids, it took a little longer, but um, just to say that the impression I get right off the bat with this guy is that he, number one, didn't understand what he was doing when he was a child and says he became a Christian, and number two, he didn't understand what the sinner's prayer was, and he doesn't understand that the sinner's prayer has no magical power. What has the magical power is God <laughs> through Christ Jesus in your life, um, and so he did not understand what he was doing. With that very little intro there, we, we understand a lot about this guy. Let's continue and let him speak a little more about it. Um, and that, that was my, you know, that's my earliest memory of having this sense that we can have a connection with the divine. Mm -hmm. we, can, we, can, uh, we can somehow know the transcendent. We can somehow get past this finite body that we live in and, and have some sort of connection with the thing behind the thing. Now just realize the terms he's using to describe God the Father, uh, Yahweh God. He's calling him uh, a divine, the divine. He uses the, t the term the divine to describe God himself. He also says the thing behind the thing, meaning 
some hidden thing you know that we don't know or can't see but is there he also said he he figured out at this age that he could connect with the transcendent now these are words not that christians use because the for instance the word transcendent is is someone that you know someone that is transcendent is moving beyond one thing changing and moving into another which doesn't really describe much about the christian perspective um but just knowing and hearing him speak those words that way makes me immediately understand and I, even at this point in the video seven minutes in i thought this guy is talking in esoteric terms not christian terms these are what these are the terms like the divine or um, later on he's going to use the term the source um, and the transcendent these are terms that the esoterist will use and esoterists bleeds into honestly masonry and hermeticism and luciferianism so you can tell this guy whether he and he did have a apparently a christian family background at least in name and so he knows those things but now he has by quote educating himself uh with secular types of education i can tell this already by the things he's saying with secular education has moved himself to a uh, a place where he doesn't want to talk in christian terms anymore it's not vogue for him it's not uh it's not the thing he wants to do so he's using esoteric gnostic terms to refer to the things of god and it's just a warning i knew right away the red flags were going off going off but as you see him progress i think he's gonna double down you'll <laughs> he's gonna really latch into some of these ideas and uh it's honestly a little scary it's a little scary for this guy but after graduating college i read a book that my baptist professors would not have put on the syllabus uh the book was a new kind of christian by brian mclaren and i remember at the time for the first time in my life being confronted with that oh there are other ways to think about God, the Bible, Jesus, than this narrow, baptistic, evangelical tradition that has been handed to me. Like, hmm. So just to say something very quickly, this was another huge red flag, but he's talking about there was this pivotal moment in his life, I think he said it was either the end of high school or end of college, something like that, where he uh, read a book by Brian McLaren. Now, if you know anything about Brian McLaren, he is part of what has been called the emergent church. And I mean, I could do probably a year's worth of content on how wrong Brian McLaren is about his interpretation of the scriptures, uh, his way of dealing with God. And I mean, he is part of the churches that do the extreme spiritual side of uh, progressive Christianity. So things like barking in the spirit or being drunk in the spirit, you know, the uh, fire tunnels that they make and then people go down and they get possessed with a Kundalini type spirit and start yelping and making noise. 
Um, these are the kinds of things that people like Brian McLaren not only do, but promote as a healthy way to be a Christian, to express your spirituality. Um, and so I just, right away when he says, oh, I read this pivotal book by Brian McLaren. I'm like, oh boy, we're going down, we're going down a hill, man. Um, but uh, I would caution you against Brian McLaren and his teaching. It is treacherous as far as the scriptures are concerned and as far as uh, all of traditional Christianity is concerned. So let's jump on ahead. With me. So I, I've been a pastor for 15 years. My wife and I started a church that we co-pastor um, going on six years ago in San Diego. Uh, we call ourselves a progressive Christian church. I don't know that those are the best terms, but they each kind of get at a little bit of what we do. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm here, uh, and I do, um, oh, I should, I forgot this point, obviously, because that's why we're here today, uh, but while I was in Arizona, one of the things that I, I started asking questions about was, um, LGBTQ inclusion in the church, and people who identify as queer, lesbian, gay, um, all that I knew at that point was that they were not allowed members in the church, the church that I was at, uh, and that the Bible was clearly opposed to anything having to do with homosexuality. And I'd never ask any questions more than that. I just assumed. So uh, just so you understand, he is the pastor of a church in, I believe it's San Diego, California. Uh, I don't know if it was in that clip, but in another portion of the video, he does mention that the reason he became a pastor and started his own church was because he got kicked out of his previous church for his views on this topic, the LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church, in the Christian church. And so his new church that he started has a special focus um, on inclusion of of every one of those myriad lifestyles and a refusal on his part to denounce any of their actions as wrong or incorrect. And we will go further to, to hear about the why. Now, it's interesting to me that in this whole video, that's a most of what is talked about in the frame of reference of LGBTQ. So just know for the rest of this video, we're not much going to talk about LGBTQ, but they're going to talk about instead their, his justification for why he can discount the ideas that people have, the traditional Christian values that have come from the scriptures. He's going to mostly talk about why he doesn't value that and how he gets around using the Bible as a guide for this specific issue and around he gets around using traditional Christian uh, ideas about this issue as well. So let's jump to the next spot. Anyway, so that's where I am now. I'm uh, fully affirming of people who identify LGBTQ. I don't, I don't think that uh, um, who we love uh, or, or, or the, 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 genet or the gender makeup within the context of a relationship uh, somehow precludes some relationships from being 
holy or sacred or good in the eyes of God. Um, and so, yeah, our, our church now, one of our big ministries is to, is to catch people who have been uh, harmed by the church over these sorts of teachings. So his church's focus is to grapple with and bring people into this church, his church, that people that have been probably, you know, not welcomed in other churches because they hold to an LGBTQ plus or whatever lifestyle. Um, and so by, you know, shucking off the, the, the holds of a doctrine or a belief system that includes the way the scriptures talk about sodomy uh, and unnatural types of marriages, unnatural lifestyles, uh, he instead refuses to see those and lets LGBTQ people into his church where they are welcome, where they're, I suppose, equivalent with every other member, and he doesn't bring up their lifestyles in practice of the church. Now, in this next section, there's this title, and uh, it's that God has a specific, enjoyable, and beneficial design for sexuality. So they make that statement, and then they let each guy answer it. So listen to part of what this progressive, quote-unquote, Christian says about if God has a design for sexuality. Well, I'm struck by a couple words in, in, that, in that phrase that I think are, are worth pointing out before you know what we're talking about. So God, so the idea of God having a design, if we, if we accept the premise that God is a being that is up or out there, that has, I talk about it as like a set of divine documents that God keeps in like a file drawer that pulls out occasionally and be like, this is, this is sort of how I've mapped out my idea for this thing. Um, I, I reject that as a, um, as a possibility for how things work. Like, I don't think there is uh, 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 some sort of divine document out there that, that lays out a, a being's preferred order of things. So in this segment, and he's going to, he's going to repeat these types of things again and again. And so don't think that it was a fluke, like he said something wrong, but he seriously, you know, he seriously questions the idea that God is a being in the sense, uh, and, and he doesn't say in a personal way, but that's what he means that he says this a couple times that God is a being, but not a personal being. He's out there, but he's not someone we really relate to. Uh, and, he, you know, it's just interesting. And he says, you know, as far as the design of sexuality, of humanity, he's like, there's no being sitting up there with a design document, you know, checking off the list and seeing if everybody is following his design. Um it's just odd and scary, really, that anyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to then take a position where he does not relate to God as a personal being. Even though God has spent most of history relating to humans in a very personal way, even speaking to and with, having conversations with humans throughout the Bible, um, 
I don't know how much per more personal you can get, but the idea of an impersonal divinity, again, is a Gnostic, esoteric idea. So it's very odd. Again, I, I, I got to the end of this video. I could not believe that this guy really wanted to call himself a Christian because, you know, what are the basics of a Christian in the world? I mean, I think even most non-Christians would say, well, basically a Christian needs to believe in God and Jesus. And most Christians believe that God is good and has everyone's best interests in mind, that Jesus came and died for our sins. I think those are probably the, the basics, okay? Even non-Christians would know those things and say that about Christians. But this guy doesn't even relate to God in that most basic way of the, of the Christian faith. As a personal God that cares for his soul and wants him to follow him and is doing has done things throughout history to make sure that humans can and have the every opportunity possible to follow after the good things he has in store and so again just he doubles down and triples down again and again on this very esoteric scholarly secular gnostic idea of god as not a personal being but almost as an energy thing, like some big thing out there that you can't really relate to. Um, it's very sad, very saddening. And so again, he, he you know, no, he'll, he'll start to expound on this, why he doesn't believe that God has any design that is specific for sexuality for humanity. Things. Um, and then the last word was sexuality, which, well, that's an interesting term. What do we mean when we talk about sexuality? Well, sexuality encompasses a lot of things. Part of it encompasses uh, the potentiality for procreation. So sure. sexuality is uh, pretty important for procreation. I think there are some maybe flowers and animals that can just procreate without the need for, uh, you know, sex. But the idea of sexuality within humanity, you know, has... We, we, we have evolved from single-cell organisms into organisms that needed to uh, procreate. And so, yes, right now, the way the procreation happens is through, uh, you know, male and female coming together, whether it's in a, a test tube or, or uh, implanted or, or natural way. So it's just amazing. You start to see why and how the puzzle pieces come together for this guy, why he is where he is. He's bought into so many propaganda doctrines from the mainstream um, and made those his own. And it has it has pushed his worldview into a place. So he says in the beginning of that segment, he says, well, what really is sexuality? Do we even know? I mean, what is it? It could encompass a lot of different things. And the reason that he says that is because he went, where did he go in the end? He went to evolution. Because he sees evolution as the mechanism that has made humanity what it is. And he will go into other segments about, you know, he believes in the hundreds of thousands of years or the whatever time frames of that but you see the outcome of these different worldviews so the outcome of his evolutionary worldview of his origin is that well if it's evolutionary 
meaning things arose by chance, then, you know, your sexual organs arose by chance. And to him, that means that they are no more important than your eye or your hair or your hand. And they have no other, they're, they're, you know, no more significant than any other thing that just evolved because of whatever the reason in evolution. Because evolution is meaningless, really. There is no reason behind evolution, because if there was, that would mean there was a creator. <laughs> but uh, it's just amazing to me the way that these different beliefs have built his worldview for him. And I truly mean that if you're watching this, and you hold, you know, different views that are secular and that are in conflict with a lot of traditional Christian views or the Bible itself, I uh, encourage you to realize how if you start accepting the secular views on things on the outskirts of the biblical narrative and you accept the secular view of creation, the secular view of... Um, the goodness of God, the secular view of, you know, events like the parting of the Red Sea, that it wasn't miraculous, it was natural, and, and all these different things. You start to accept these different secular linchpins, it will crowd you into a place in your mind where you then have to accept what this guy has, and it pushes him towards the, the ledge of a Luciferian worldview. I hope that that's clear because to me it's 150% clear that that's what's happened here. Because of his evolutionary viewpoint, it has destroyed his ability to assign or ascribe value to the things God has made. So he can't ascribe any value to your gender or your sexuality because it's a random product of an evolutionary process. And, and really, philosophically, any Christian who accepts evolution as the process through which humans originated has to also accept that it's a random chance, and so there's nothing that's evolved on you that's any more significant than anything else, and that truly we are about as important as the, a whale or a monkey or a caterpillar because the same process in their minds was used to be the origin of those species. So there's no difference. We can act like animals. There's no difference in an evolutionary mindset, and he definitely has an evolutionary mindset. So, so anyway, those are the few things that stood out to me was what do we mean when we say God designs? Because uh, I I reject the idea that there is some being out there that is like mapping out expectations as it relates to sexuality. And then what do you mean by sexuality? So you took it in a, a sexual orientation, which I think is fine because it's part of why we're here. But for me, that's only one part of it. All that to say, um, I would affirm that on some level there is a design to sexuality. Hmm. That seems pretty self-evident insofar as um, we've seen, you know, We've seen Homo sapiens, uh, you know, for the last 200,000 years sort of beat out the other human species, uh, and we've done it in part through procreation, like through, through sexual reproductions. So again, just he, you know, goes further with this evolutionary viewpoint, you know, saying that just the, the idea of our, you know, heterosexual sexuality, man and woman, is no more 
significant or important or different than homosexuality or any other type of sexuality because it like he says evolved over time and the evolutionary process being a random chance mutative uh structure nothing's more important than the other and and he said too in that segment i, I just want to call this out because evolutionists think they can get away with this all the time he said you know we've really seen that over the last two hundred thousand years or so that humankind has da 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 well the fact is fact we have not seen anything or tested anything scientifically over the last two hundred thousand years we have no purview into anything other than what we've seen in the writings of of centuries past so that only extends back before Jesus Christ coming about a few thousand years. And that really does actually play into the narrative of the scripture and the timelines of the scripture quite nicely. But the evolutionists think they can get away with saying, well, we know because we've seen over the eons and the we've never been. We weren't there for the eons. We have no test data from 200,000 years ago. And if you think carbon dating is test data, then you're sorely and sadly mistaken. But we have no way to test the assumptions that are being made about 100,000 years ago, or 200, or 50 million years ago. There is no scientific way to test any of that pontification. So that's all it is, and it's only speculation, and it is only theory. Uh, and I don't want to make this video about evolution, but I just wanted to lay that down because it's like, I, I see this so many times and this guy, even in this video, this conservative Christian lets him get away with saying as if it's a fact that there's been 200,000 years of human history, which that's not a fact that anyone can test and prove and show. It just isn't. No matter how badly the evolutionists would want it to be, so that, that design has come to us through millions of years of uh, adaptation. Again, millions of years of adaptation that is untested, unproven, unfounded. There's been no data that's pointed us at that anything. You know, it's funny. I think most people don't even realize this, but when you talk about like the skeletons and things that have been found of, for instance, you know, some of the ape-like men or humans that have been found do you know in almost every single case either they were hoaxes meaning that someone took a bone that wasn't human and then told everybody it was half human and half ape or many of the times it was such a small fragment of bone say a portion of a lower jaw just a small portion that there's no way you can then extrapolate enough information from that bone fragment to make the assertions that are being made but a scientist will go with the grant to a specific piece of land and you know palestine and they'll be digging and they'll say oh this this ground i think this ground is uh two hundred thousand years old and then they find a bone fragment and then they take it to the carbon dater and they say this was found in some soil that's two hundred thousand years old and so the carbon dater punches into his software that does the carbon dating. Oh, we estimate the surrounding 
the surrounding sediment to be 200,000 years old. And that sets all the properties of his execution of the routine that tells him the carbon dating schedule and um, decay schedule for that bone fragment. It is really a sham, and it has been for a long time, but people don't talk about it. It's just so accepted, even though it's a sham. that It's accepted, and people use it to this day. I don't, I don't get it. Um, again, it's just the things that are asserted with no proof, no evidence, it's mind-boggling. And especially for a guy that calls himself a Christian. So whatever, whatever is driving this whole thing, mm -hmm. and um, I'm still of the opinion that there is some source behind it all. There is some... Um, there's some loving, uh, uh, transcendent being that isn't this separate being that we talked about or that I talked about earlier. Mm. There's some thing there that is that is sort of has this push and this pull effect, and part of it is uh, within sexuality as reproduction. So, so uh, here he lays it out, and he says he calls God a source, some kind of loving source is out there and i don't know anything about it neither do you but it's a source of creation it's a source of energy it's a source of good it's a source of do you know that that is a specifically stated in gnostic texts of the time of christ and earlier gnostic texts luciferian esoteric texts about the nature of a being that Actually, they say, the Luciferians say, it's above God, Yahweh. Even the Gnostics who use this terminology don't say what this guy says. So either this guy is not worshiping God, Yahweh, and he is worshiping the all-source, which is the Gnostic idea of the Demiurge. It's just the confusion here is incredible, and... I don't think he realizes that he is playing into these Masonic, esoteric ideas. And, and as a quote-unquote, calling himself a Christian, and then talking about God as if he is this way, which he has never described himself as in the scriptures, is just so wrong. And it hurts so bad that People coming to this video and seeing it may think this guy is a Christian. It, that there's Christians out there that believe the way he does, and that that's still Christian in some sense. But it's not. It's not at all. And it's funny that he, you know, he refers to it in this way, like there's no way you can know God. And, and he will go into this further, but the funny thing is that there's, the only way we can know anything about God is the fact that he told people like Moses to write it down. He told people like Joshua, write this down. Ezekiel, write this down. And so that's how we know because God spoke through those people and they wrote down what he told them to write. There's no other way we can know anything about God except that people tell us and thankfully God inspired these men to write the scriptures, the holy scriptures that we have. But this guy just denies it flat out. He just flatly denies that that scripture is meaningful and existent. And so 
he in a, in that way can disregard everything that he doesn't like in scripture in fact i think he probably as a quote pastor of his church he probably uses scriptures sometimes in his teaching but he only uses the ones that he likes and then you know the things on sodomy you know bestiality reprobate sexual practices animalistic tendencies he just ejects those parts because he's like oh wait we can't really know about the scriptures because god is so unknowable and he's contradicting himself and he's it's hypocritical he's contradicting himself in every way everything he's saying is contradictory if if he really feels the way he does then he should put his bible on the sh shelf or in the garbage because that's what he thinks it is apparently he should put the Bible in the garbage and never open it again inside his church in front of his people. I would rather actually he do that if he's going to spoil the Bible by teaching it wrong. I would rather him throw it out and never speak of it again. But only he, he should just go back to his church and speak only of the source. Then no one will know that he thinks he's a Christian. I think that would be better for Christianity if he did that. get to the next time code here but again sexuality for me is just a is a, is a, is a term that applies to a broad number of things so speaking of it as though whether it is good or bad for me isn't all that helpful so again just realize that he won't define the term so it, let me just say this in a debate if, if if you can't define the terms that you're debating there is no debate and so that's what this guy and a lot of people, a lot of people in our modern culture who think they're smart do this kind of thing. They use their philosophical intentions to shift the view away from the actual topic being discussed and instead try to undermine the topic by saying you can't know about that topic. And in doing so, people like him think they're smart. They think they're smart by doing this, but I, I, I'm waiting for people to start realizing it makes them look like a fool. It makes you look like a fool when you try to eject from the conversation and not answer the questions empirically. It just looks, it makes you look like a fool. There's no debate if you think everything's unknowable. And apparently he has come to that conclusion. And there's another reason he has that conclusion that we're going to hear him say in just a second. specific for you the only way that you can conceive that there being uh, uh, differences between good and bad or better and worse is if there is an intelligent being that has thus declared it so is, am i understanding that correct you're understanding it okay. exactly right now this guy this conservative guy on the left he he makes me laugh here because i it's like he's trying not to really just body slam this guy into the ground he's got the ammunition to do it but it's it's just funny that this progressive guy, he's saying that, oh, so you're saying that for us to uh, feel like there is a right and wrong, that someone actually has to have declared that? And the guy's like, yes. <laughs> That's the only way we have anything called right and wrong, is that something above or outside of our system declares it so. And that someone and something is God. 
if it was just evolutionary, which is what the atheists think, and what you know agnostics and uh, if it was if our whole existence and origins were only evolutionistic then and there was no god then there would be no sense of right and wrong there's no reason to think any one thing is more right or wrong than another unless there's someone who declares it so and that someone has to be god he's been talked about in these scriptures and many, many besides the Bible for centuries and millennia, we still apparently as, as humans have trouble with the idea. We still try to explain it away so we don't have to be responsible to this God who has declared what's right and wrong from the beginning. Because if there's only evolution and there's no God, there's only some source out there, but he's unknowable, so we can't know right and wrong then you can kill me take my stuff and there's no one to say well you can't do that why would would anyone say you're wrong because there's nothing that declares that as a wrong thing to do and you might say well he violated my rights well who gives you any rights in a world of complete evolutionary agnosticism and atheism there is no rights nobody has any rights over anything other than anyone else there's no one that defines the rules so you can do whatever you want the one with the power subjugates all others that's how the world works in an atheistic or agnostic mindset or humanistic mindset he with the power decides and in our world God is the power. God is above all. He has declared those things from the beginning. And so it's just funny that here, according to the scriptures and the, the holy texts, we're, we're close to uh, 7,500 years from creation. We're still questioning the God who created the things that we are, the, the place we stand on. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's a dangerous thing to do. So let's jump here to the next time code. Even just, I don't know, a guy being kind of slimy towards women in the way he approaches them sexually, thinking of them as sexual objects. How, how do I call him to any form of repentance if there isn't a design and before that is a designer? Yeah, I think that question makes sense and the conclusions are somewhat reasonable within our context. Uh, but most of human history has not been in our context. So most of humans uh, have lived within a world where it might have been the thought there was many gods or it might have been no gods. It might have been an animistic world where it's just hey, there's spirits and all things. Yeah. My, my, my point is, is we've managed to, and by we, I mean the collective species of humans, have managed to make it this far by creating sets of norms and values and ideas of what does contribute to flourishing and what doesn't without sort of concrete ideas about a god. 
Hmm. So, I, so I don't know that, I guess that's a long way of saying, I don't think that the idea of God as a being out there who creates the laws down here is, is not needed for humans to figure out what contributes towards well-being and what contributes towards uh, destruction and chaos and hmm. sorrow and suffering. Wow. <laughs> he says that humans don't need God to know what good and evil is essentially. He doesn't he doesn't want to say that because it's too empirical for him. It's too absolute. But that's what he means. He's saying that it humans don't need God to know what the a good direction is and what a bad direction is. But the problem is he's headed towards a logical philosophical argument that ends with empirical absolutes. Good and evil are only things that can be decided upon by a higher power, God himself. And uh, he's going to go and further discuss, he, t he mentioned it here about how, you know, throughout human history that humans have messed things up and done horribly wrong things and gotten the scriptures wrong so that they, he's, his argument is that because humans are always getting it wrong, that then they can't, we can't assume to know that we've gotten it right in the scriptures. And this is the argument he's going to make again and again. And the conservative guy doesn't call him on it. And this is part of why I'm making this video because it's so obvious to me. But he keeps saying that because humans seem to get it wrong so many times. And he mentions things like the Crusades where, you know, Christians slaughtered Muslims and, and then, you know, where the Catholics were killing people who didn't uh, accept the Eucharist the right way and all these other different things he mentions. He's saying because of that, you know, we can't be so bold as to think that we have the scriptures right. So there's really no way you can know what the scriptures are saying. That's his out. It's This is really his cop out, his exit strategy, so that he doesn't have to deal with the Bible. So he can say things like this and think he's got an out. Now the problem is that uh, when the conservative guy comes back, he doesn't call him on this too much. He does say this. Now, I'm going to skip a little section about, about this where he goes into more detail, and the conservative guy does a good job because he says, well, if you think Christians have been so bad, well, we know from history, proven history, that even just in the 20th century that secular, humanistic, non-Christian, governments have killed and slaughtered more people than all the Christians throughout all of history. Because if you just, even if you just take communists, the communist governments of the world in our short, short history of our 20th century killed more people across the world than all of the Christians have ever killed the, the Catholics, the Crusaders, any of the, you know, fringe Christian groups that killed people for their beliefs, they didn't even, it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to what communists did over the 20th century. Stalin, I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't have the stats, but I know it's in the like millions and millions and millions of people that Stalin killed. And then in China, millions and millions, they're daily killing people over there. And so to say that, you know, Christians have been so bad in the past and screwed up so bad, 
that, you know, we can't trust what Christians have ever said about the Bible, and we can't trust what we would say about the Bible. So nobody can trust what anyone says about the Bible, and we can't really learn much from it. We, ha we just have to go on our gut. I guess that's what he does with his source idea of God in the heavens, some source uh, Gnostic thing. But it's really sad. It's really actually very sad that he doesn't get it. Um, let's go to the next section because he's going to double down on this argument yet again. So even if I did submit to you or submit that there was a God out there who had some sort of right and wrong expectation for humanity, which is not a, a premise I support, but if I submit for the sake of this conversation that that is a thing, how are we to know what that is? Know what God's will is? That's correct. How are we supposed to know what is right and what? If this sense of right and wrong does exist at a cosmic, divine mm -hmm. level, how in the world are we supposed to know which is what? Uh, God being a speaking, communicating God, communicating through his word, giving us the Bible through human authorship, spirit-inspired, producing Old and New Testament, 66 books from 37 to 39 authors. It's a pretty good answer. I mean, literally, we know because of the Bible, because of the writings that men of God wrote about their experiences with God as a testimony, we know about God. It's not very difficult. Uh, and, and this guy keeps arguing that, you know, because Christians have gotten it wrong so many times in history, how can we even know if we're getting it right at all? And the guys, the, the conservatives got a good point. Just read the Bible. It's pretty plain. And yes, and here's my thing. Yes, Christians have gotten portions of the Bible wrong through the centuries. But if you do like a, like a diagram and you, this is this circle is like the totality of all of the doctrinal and uh, theological teachings that Christians have taught over the centuries all of them you know what this spot right here this little bitty spot is probably the number of them that Christians got so wrong that they like murdered people over so I'm saying it's like less than 5% of all Christian doctrine is something that has even questioned between groups of Christians. There's not huge swaths of scripture that people disagree about. Most of it's very plain. Most of it's very clear, like in the 90 to 95% range. It's just the it's some little things that most Christians disagree on, like eschatology, you know, some of the prophet, prophetic things that they say or think might happen in the future versus in the past. You know, um, some of the character attributes possibly of God or J Jesus Christ himself. But the events, the time flow, all the events and people of the scriptures, none of that's... Like I said, 90% of it is pretty well known. Like... So for him to say that, oh, because, you know, that 5% has been misunderstood over the years, we can't trust any of it. The 95% is gone. You know, I'm tired of letting atheists and guys like this get away with that kind of argument. It's stupid that the small percentage of the scriptures that people do misunderstand 
somehow impugns all the rest of the scriptures saying it's under it's not understandable well we're doing our best number one we've gotten 90 to 95 percent of it right but the number two through history we're dealing with you know very old texts that have been most of them quite well preserved through the ages but also the translations from languages that we you know most of us don't understand so all in all i think we're doing a pretty good job of knowing what the scripture says because every time i go back to ancient languages i'm seeing that it says the exact same thing with some few small exceptions some tweaks here and there but to say that the very small percentage that people get wrong most often and have through the centuries somehow makes the rest of it unknowable and you know, not true is nonsense. It's nonsense. And we let these people get away with this. Why can why do we let this guy say this thing? This conservative guy, I'm surprised he held it together so calmly. I wouldn't have been able to do that. And you can see in this video, nah. I would have been like calling him to the mat on this stuff. We just can't let people get away with saying these things. In other words, we're not free to interpret the Bible however we see fit. And as I understand it, we have to, we have to understand it rightly. So if you understand and the how Bible- how do we right, know when we've got it rightly is my, is my question. When we understand the Bible as it intends to be understood, when we're not saying, you know, when Paul is speaking to the Galatians about salvation, he's actually saying pink elephants should dance on Mount Moriah in springtime. In other words, we all have to take authors literally, don't we? we? We say we don't like literal interpretation or these sorts of things, but if we don't take somebody literally as if there's a right way to interpret them and a wrong way to interpret them, we're in nonsense land. Even now, you and I are using truth. We're using categories of truth. I'm taking your words as if you mean what you say, and you're taking my words as if I mean what I say. In the same way, we have to take the Bible as if it's meaning a certain principle and reality. Now, I thought that in this section, this conservative guy on the left did pretty good, you know, explaining this thing and, and just laying it out for him. Look, we have to be able to rely on when someone says that Jesus walked to Galilee and then preached to the people on the hillside, that he meant that he walked to Galilee and preached to the people on the hillside. It's not hard to understand that. And we have to believe that the person who wrote that down intended for it to mean that, literally. Or else, like he said, we are in nonsense land. You know, when we start to take the scriptures and read, Jesus went to Galilee and taught people on the hillside, if we think that there's some allegorical, esoteric meaning to that statement, instead of what was written on plain paper with ink, then, like he says, everything's out the window. We can make up anything we want. We can throw away anything we want. And so we have to, in our best mindset and with most care we can, we have to come to the scriptures trying to ascertain the meaning that was intended by the man who wrote the words on the page. Whether it was Paul or Moses or David, etc. If we can't do that, 
then this guy, if he can't do that, should throw away every book he's ever read, including that Brian McLaren book, because there's no way he can understand what Brian McLaren meant, even though the whole point of writing a book is to communicate ideas to someone. But the way that this progressive guy is talking, you can't understand what someone means, even when they write it in ink on paper. You just can't understand it. Because someone over there will understand it different than someone over there, and I'll understand it different, and nobody understands it. It's nonsense. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. You, you atheists out there are not going to be able to get away with this stuff any longer. No more. Uh-uh. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, and it's not good argument. It's not good debate. It's childish, really. I, I'm with you that maybe, I would still say maybe, maybe there is a right way to interpret some of these letters and these poems and these stories. Maybe there is a right way to understand them. Yeah. I'm still stuck on how do you know yours is the right way? Because take a time machine back and you've got people that know that this is the right way to interpret this. We know now they were wrong. Yeah. So how, what is the thing that sort of sits behind it, outside it, within it that's like no 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 this time i've got it right again it's like again he's talking about the oh people have gotten everything so wrong on the bible so long and so many centuries all of it's wrong no it's a very very small percentage of what the text of the scriptures say that people have really gotten wrong <laughs> and most of those things are pretty obvious what they mean to those who will sit and think honestly about them the the percentage of confusion in scripture is so small and uh it's just to me this is what a a studied secular erudite type person says in our culture these days they say these kinds of things that you can't know anything and they think that makes them sound smart and i'm just so sick and tired of hearing that weak wasted argument it's a cop-out because you have not the mental capacity to actually debate a point. So it's your eject clause. It's your escape hatch. Pull the cord. It's really sad. And you have to read the Bible as if it's really speaking to what it says. I hear you, but I don't feel like that really holds up because... Again, go back in time, and I would imagine that people were swearing they were interpreting the Bible correctly and literally. And we have we have the sort of privilege now of having some information that helps us maybe understand things differently. But at every point along the way, you have people who are earnestly seeking after the truth, taking the plain reading of the text as best as they can, and swearing that they are just interpreting it. And it's and, and it. And it isn't, it isn't good, it isn't helpful, it isn't right. So I still feel like there's a, there's, a, there's a piece that isn't being acknowledged here, which is, at the end of the day, you can't really know that you have got God's standard of right and wrong exactly figured out. And there really isn't a way to objectively assess that. 
Yeah, the, the problem with what he's saying there, especially in the case of the LGBTQ, uh, you know, idea space, is that the Bible's very clear on it. It's very clear. Um, in fact, you know, I'm going to take a little bit snippet out of a video I'm making on marriage. And that is, uh, I've been studying the, uh, the Hebrew texts in Genesis and other books on Adam and Eve. And you know what uh, is interesting about the word wife or marriage, particularly the word wife in Genesis? Do you know that the word wife in Genesis is simply the word woman? It's the, the word for man is ish in Hebrew, and the word for woman is isha. And it's and whenever the word wife is written in the in Genesis in the English, it's this word isha. It just means woman. So what it's saying is, when Adam's woman, not his wife, but his woman, and you know, and so whenever it's talking about a man's wife, it says it's her, it's his woman. Because woman was taken from man. This is what marriage is about. And the relationship is about, it is, it's the genetics. It's the, the fact that woman was made for man and out of man. And so the only thing that even means wife in Hebrew is the word woman. So there's a man, ish, and there's a woman, isha. And they go together. And that's what a marriage is. So, even just the language of Hebrew and the way that the Bible is written, without even saying all those other things are wrong, it's making it obvious they're wrong because a man's wife was his woman. And so it was a man and a woman together. And that's all that God ever intended as far as marital relationships the word marriage, by the way, marry, when you marry two things together, you just put them together. The word marry is talking about the sexual union. The fact that a man and woman go together perfectly and correctly. And that the other things are an abomination to the Lord. And I'm not going to go into all the scriptures on that. I'm going to do a whole other video on marriage that's going to explain a lot of this. But even just the Hebrew that's used to describe a man and a woman and a wife and all this stuff, it makes it clear that God's intent, and even as old as 4,000 years or more before Christ, the intent was a man with a woman, and that was the plan. That was how it was supposed to be. It's just so obvious, and so many things discredit this kind of idea. Um, just he's got to double down on that idea of you can't know otherwise he has to deal with it and so this whole video has kind of been a disappointment because he never deals with the topic he never deals with the scripture and the topic together because he knows that if he did he would have to concede that the scripture is talking in a way that makes it sound like lgbtq plus 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 are all abominations to the lord they're not right they're not they're not a marriage relationship Now, this next sec segment is going to be the worst. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly figured out. And there really isn't a way to objectively assess that. Other than, and so then this is how I would then 
yeah. sort of respond to that? How can we know if we're even in the ballpark of what might be a divine sense of right, wrong? Which, by the way, fun fact, uh, the, the tree that uh, Adam and Eve were instructed to not eat from was the tree of knowledge, was the thing that gave them insight into what is right and wrong. It was the thing that let them know the difference between good and evil. It's almost as if God's saying, I give you everything, but the capacity to know right and wrong, good and evil, I'm going to keep that one to myself because y'all are just going to muck it up if I give it to you. <laughs> and then we ate it, and, uh, well, here we are trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. And I, when I heard this, my mind just about exploded. I couldn't believe that a person who calls himself a Christian would say this. But did you hear what he said? He said that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate was the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as the scripture says. But he said it's like God didn't want them to know about good and evil because he knew they'd screw it up. So he wasn't going to let them understand. Now, He's already used Gnostic and Luciferian terms, but this is a Luciferian concept that God was restraining knowledge and keeping it from Adam and Eve with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that God was the bad guy, that Yahweh was the bad guy and Satan was the good guy. This is not only Luciferian, it's Gnostic. It's a Gnostic belief, and you can read it in the Gnostic texts of the first century. And so this guy, not I don't know if he even realizes that he has a fully formed Gnostic cosmology in his head. He believes in a source over an idea of a personal God like Yahweh. He also believes that, that God, Yahweh, was keeping knowledge from Adam and Eve in the garden that, that the way this guy says it, he feels like they should have had. And that Satan was then allowed them to have something that God wouldn't let them have. It is such a Luciferian Gnostic way of looking at it that, you know, the real reality is the reason God didn't want them to eat of that fruit is because it, it implanted them into this material world. And it, it took them to a place that he didn't want them to be. He wanted them to be rulers over creation. But if they were then a part of creation, knowing good and evil and that they can do wicked things or materialistic, fleshly things, then they get wrapped up in that all the time instead of doing God's work, which he had instructed them to oversee the garden and the, the creation, the created order. So God's intent was to keep them pure so they could work, they could achieve his purpose for them. It wasn't some kind of, oh, he wanted to keep this stuff... Yeah, he kept the knowledge of evil away from them. Well, that's not bad. And then he told them, you know, you've got to stay away from this fruit because it's it's not it's not a good thing if you eat it. And he they did. Because Satan tempted them. Why do you think Satan tempted them? Because he knew it would ruin what God's plans were. It would ruin God's plans for Adam and Eve, which was rulership. And Satan was jealous. And Satan did this to destroy what God had made. Um, but this guy doesn't... And that context comes from not only the Bible, but many other ancient texts. This guy doesn't know any of it. He doesn't even know the Bible, I don't think. He just knows the stories. Like, he's talking about, oh, the fruit in the, the garden and stuff. He doesn't mention a Bible verse. 
but that's in chapter two and three of Genesis. I mean, he didn't even say that, you know, I mean, this guy, I don't, I don't know where they found him because he's not a Christian. This is not in the words of a Christian. If he doesn't believe in who God is, I don't know how he can believe in his son, Jesus Christ, because God or Jesus pointed people to the father. He said it over and over again. You can, If you read the book of John, you, you hear it again and again and again, but all, all the Gospels, Jesus was pointing people to his Father and, and saying, you know, worship your Father in heaven. He came to show us who the Father was and the right way to obey. And so his commands were important for us. But I don't think this guy gets that. He doesn't seem to get that God is real. He thinks he's a source he must have read some Manly P. Hall and decided, oh, the source out there, yeah, it's good, but we can't know it. I, I just am amazed that they even called this guy a Christian. I guess he calls himself a Christian. Two things come to mind. One is uh, Jesus' teaching that you will know people by their love in this, by how they love one another. Mm -hmm. um, bad tree doesn't give good fruit. Mm. Um, good tree doesn't give bad fruit. So we can look at the fruit. We can look at actually what's being manifested in the world. We can look at, Paul, the fruits of the Spirit. Is there peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? Like, are these things being manifest here? If now, it's funny. He's gone to the Scripture now. He's, he can't quote verses or anything, but he's saying, you know, the fruits of the Spirit... Bad tree doesn't give good fruit. Good tree doesn't give bad fruit. And, I mean, he says it like a, a, a grade schooler, but I, I mean, beside the point, he's saying some things that are in Scripture, but he just spent 30 minutes in this video denouncing the authority of Scripture. So which is it, bud? You're going to use Scripture, you know, when it suits you, like I said before, and then throw away the parts you don't like and you don't understand? Because I think there's a lot of it you don't understand because I don't think you've read much of, much of it. But this is just, I'm, I don't know what to think of this. I mean, I don't know what to think of this guy. This is supposed to be a Christian. Quote, progressive Christian. That's amazing. Or... or for the sake of this conversation, say, yes, there is a God who has now decided what is right, what is wrong. Our capacity to know that with as much certainty that it would take to then not question if we have somehow misused the Bible on a particular topic, I think is misguided because I don't think there's any way we can know. And I think history is, I think history is on my side on this in terms of how many different interpretations, some are closer to probably what is most true and some are way far away. And how are we going to know? Well, I think uh, the fruit's going to get us close to that. He thinks the fruit will get us close. <laughs> Apparently his, you know, his standard for living is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. I guess that's everything he knows about teaching in the New Testament. Um, I don't understand, again, how this guy calls himself a Christian. He can't explain the basic, uh, you know, things that are taught in the scriptures about God and Jesus Christ and all the things. And it's like, uh, he wants to, just like atheists, he wants to sit around 
and deny knowledge. He wants to deny our ability to understand anything. Our ability to read words on a page and come to the understanding of the meaning behind them. Why else does anyone write a book? I, you know, I can't, this boggles my mind. Why would anyone write a book if there's no way to ascertain meaning from language written on a page? <laughs> Atheists are making these kinds of arguments all the time now, and it's infantile. I, I just have to say it's infantile. This is, um... The worst debate I think I've seen in a long time, but you know, like I said, this is supposed to be about LGBTQ, and the only way that people like him can justify their beliefs on those lifestyles is by justifying themselves through denying the authority of Scripture, denying the understandability, the uh, the the logic and reason of the Scriptures. Denying that the words on the page mean what they say they mean. And denying that he even has the ability to read them and understand them. Because I won't deny that ability. I can read and understand most of what's in the Bible. 99.95%. So it's the small percentages that where people diverge a lot, but they're small percentages. And it's just a nonsense argument to keep saying what he says. Oh, he says history's on his side. History's on his side. Christians have gotten it wrong more than they've gotten it right throughout history. Well, that statement is patently false. It's patently false. And uh, I just, this video, that's the last clip. So uh, this video to me just struck a nerve and I had to kind of do this. I, I don't know. Um, I hope that people see this. I didn't feel like this conservative guy really laid it to this progressive enough. He didn't lay it down, and, and so I felt like this, this kind of response is needed. This kind of response is something that all Christians should be doing when atheists bring up nonsense arguments. We shouldn't let them get away with it. Because this guy is everything an atheist is, minus maybe some fringe elements. I mean, it's, it's crazy that he calls himself a Christian. But um, we can't let people get away with these arguments anymore. The, the evidence is overwhelming. If you can't read black and white words on a page, then you've got more problems than whether you can win a debate with a Christian or not. So let's stop accepting explanations like this guy is giving. Explanations from the scholarly, the erudite, the people that say they know. Do the work for yourself. Read the Bible yourself and come to the conclusion, wow, was that profound? Did that... Did I understand almost all of that, or did I not understand any of it? Read it for yourself. Don't let guys like him tell you what to think about the Bible, or the Scripture, or Christianity, or God. For heaven's sake, don't listen to this guy on God, or Jesus Christ. Learn for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Don't put any man between you and God by taking their words over God's, over the Scripture. Go to the scriptures yourself and learn for yourself. Don't just watch videos on YouTube. Spend time in the Holy Bible. Um, and you will see that the things this guy says don't make any sense when you know. When you know, this guy doesn't make any sense. Have a great day. It's been great to be with you guys. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.